Well, in a four-week series, it is impossible to cover all of the temptations mentioned uh, in that uh, in that piece. But we wanted to just uh, dive a little bit deeper into some specifics and talk a little bit about what's one way that temptations often come into our lives. And so, in order to do that, uh, we've invited a guest to join us, uh, Rob Ray. Uh, Rob works at Trinity Western University. We've known Rob and his wife, Sue, who's with him this morning for over two decades now. He's a great friend, and uh, I'm sure you'll be blessed and encouraged by what Rob has to say, and challenged as well uh, in this topic. This is an area that uh, Rob has done some work and reflection in uh, graduate level uh, education. And so knitting that together with the scriptures is going to help us uh, understand a little bit more about what does it look like to be tempted in the modern world. So Rob, we're so grateful to have you with us this morning. All right, thanks so much. Um, Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks, Sue, as the applause washes over the crowd. No, (laughs) seriously, no, that's fine. Uh, it's great to be with Jericho. I remember when you guys started in the school. I've, I know I visited there and then at the Langley Event Center when you guys were there and now in this great place. So this is awesome. It's so good to be with you and I'm looking forward to this time together. Uh, let me pray just to begin and then we'll go from there. Lord, thank you so much for this day. And I pray that as we uh, gather together and as we seek to follow you, that we extend our lives to you. I pray that you would strengthen me for this moment. Help us all to receive from you and hear from you. Uh, We know that we need you. And as we face temptation and uh, the ways that our lives can get off track. So we commit this time to you and pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so one of the things I want to do to begin with is just say that I understand a a sermon on temptation and a smartphone is a weird thing. I mean, to say, yeah, I mean, how many smartphones? I mean, you've heard a ton of sermons probably on temptation. I've gone to church a lot, lots of sermons on temptation. On smartphones, not so much. You know, if we're talking about gluttony, today's sermon is on the refrigerator and how that's the locus of gluttony in our lives. And it Maybe, but maybe not either. But one of the things that, you know, you think, well, the Bible doesn't really talk about any of this stuff. Well, what the Bible does talk about, though, is the human heart and how it has not changed. That the world that we live in does, but those elements do not change at all. So that is what I want our time to be here about, to think how this happens together and that we think collaboratively. Because without a doubt, this is something that we all face. How many of you, raise your hand if you have a smartphone within arm's reach right now? Okay, well, that's, I would say, just about everywhere. There's some children in the back that don't have their hands up, but that's it. That it is without a doubt one of the biggest influences, informative things that are in our lives. There's research that shows that just by having a smartphone in front of you changes the way that you talk to people. So it is a big thing. And how many people, I don't know of you, how many people here are doing a commitment for Lent in some way, but how many of you that it's connected to technology? Anybody? For me, that's mine. It's the first 30, last 30, the first 30 minutes when I wake up and the last 30 minutes when I go to bed 
I'm trying to not have any technology in my life. So I think it just shows that our spirituality, how we think of our lives. I know Meg, who does spiritual formation, I'm sure in spiritual direction, helping people come to terms with their phones and stimulus has got to be a huge part of that conversation. So that's what I want this to be for us. I don't know how many people here, if everybody or nobody, you know, snaps or tweets or TikToks. I don't know if that's a verb or not. Uh, Brad knows these. Is TikToking a verb? He's not sure. Okay, jury's not out, but jury's still out. But without a doubt, uh, I know having youth, my, our children are young adults, but one of the biggest issues in parenting now is screen management. Like how do you, and COVID has just pushed people into their screens even more. So how do we, as people who want to love and follow Jesus, that's where we're headed. How do we manage this in such a way that it helps us get to that point? And with youth, I know with youth, I see some youth here, getting friendship right means getting friendship right through your phones. So it's not just a, uh, it's a thing. It's a big thing in the life of youth often. So this is an important topic, I think, for all of us. Whether or not it's directly you, chances are you love and care for somebody for whom this would be a, uh, a topic that we would need to look at. All right, the North Star that I have, no, before we go, I've got a little quiz, okay? I work at a school, I have worked at a school for pretty much my whole career. So I have a quiz for you. Some questions are gonna come on the board, I think. And uh, here, these are the questions you can say to the person seated next to you or in your mind, what you think the answer is, all right? How many phone pickups? And that's where you just in the course of your day, maybe it doesn't ring, you just look at your phone. That's what a phone pickup is, all right. 60, 80, or 100, and the answer is 80. All right, there's lots of different opinions about this, but this is kind of the most common one. All right, next question. In texting, what does the shorthand I-C-Y-M-I mean? I-C-Y-M-I, it means in case you missed it. That's right, that's right. Spoken by a mom, that's great. That's, I know, in so many meetings I'm in, I mean, if I had a dollar for every Zoom meeting I was in, you know, when somebody leaves and comes back and something happened, in case you missed it, you know, this is what went down. All right, and finally, what app is this loco associated with? WhatsApp, that's right. So that's a biggie right now, is WhatsApp. So what I want to do is set our North Star for where we're headed here, because this is my biggest fear, which I told my wife, I do not want this to be an interesting talk. I want this to be a sermon where we're formed to the image of Christ. And to me, this is the line, when you're talking about technology and the phone, that's the thing that I want to uh, not just happen, where it's like, oh, that was interesting, but that it, we, we, we examine our hearts and look how we can follow Jesus in a deeper way. And that is from Psalm 90, verses 12, which says, Teach us to number our days aright, or properly, or correctly, that we may attain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may attain a heart of wisdom. In the bumper, the intro video there, they talked about this sort of thing, that with the, the way that we live our eyes, do we, do we squander our time, live our lives, do we squander our time, do we invest it, what do we do with it? To me, that's why this idea of temptation and connecting to our phone is so important because if the goal that we have is for us to live in such a way that we, our hearts become wise, to me that is such a win because then I see the phone in light of the way that it should be seen because the phone is not going anywhere, right? Phones are here to stay. So 
that's not the issue. It's just the role that they play in our lives. And the same thing can be said for all technology, gaming platforms, you know, media, computer, you name it, all of these things that ask, that we are to ask God, how do we, and it's interesting, I memorized this verse a long time ago, and I memorized it wrongly. It's only in preparing for this that I realized I had misremembered this. I always said, teach me to number my days aright that I may attain a heart of wisdom. It's teach us to number our days aright that we, so this is a collective thing. It's something that we need each other in, and that's one of the things that I want to um, kind of leave you with in the end is this is a collective endeavor. It's not just me and my phone. And often screens push us into just this insular little moment, but it's broader than that. So teach us to number our days aright that we may attain a heart of wisdom. Okay, well, to get the, set the stage, I've got two things. I've got a little object lesson. All right, what is this? trellis. Very good. Okay, this is, I'm going to lift something from a book by Ken Shigematsu. He's a pastor. I think he's a pastor in Vancouver. He was for a long time. He's, he's wrote a book called God in My Everything, and his book is about spiritual habits, the way that we gather for worship. We do mission. We do, um, we read our Bibles. We pray. All of these things form like a trellis that our life grows over, that as we do this, that we're directed in a certain way, and that we um, it gives form to our lives and direction in some capacity. So to me, this is what phones can do in our lives too because what happens with the vine as it grows over the trellis, eventually the vine and the trellis become indistinguishable from one another. Like you can't tell one from the other and the direction of the vine is totally set by the trellis. And I think technology can do that same thing in our lives. If we're checking our phones at least 80 times a day, that's formative. You know, if you talk about spiritual formation and practices, if I just physically do something that many times, it, it cannot help but form me in some capacity. So our phones and our technology need to be seen as exerting a formative influence in our lives. So how can we, as followers of Jesus, make sure that this the level that we use this, it still moves us in the way that God wants to form us and our lives grow in this direction. Because without a doubt, your phone is watching you as much as you're watching your phone. How many of you have seen The Social Dilemma, Netflix? I mean, that show creeped me out. I mean, it's kind of a dramatic presentation, but it makes the point in all caps and bold and underlined, your phone is watching and listening to you and shaping what it's going to talk to you and present to you in some way. So that's why it's so important that I think we are thinking about, okay, I need to be paying attention to what is my heart doing? What are my inclinations? How are they being formed in one way or another? So that's a key element. And secondly, I have a little bit of social science. Now this is, this is gonna be just a little bit, but I think it helps set us up for where I want to end up with the application. I've got two graphs and then one theorist that can help us. The first graph, is right here. And I don't know if you're a graph person, but this shows, this is from the most common, one of the biggest porn website users. My PhD connects to uh, how particularly young adults engage pornography in different ways. And this is one of the biggest websites that is used. I can't think of it as YouTube for pornography. So a lot of videos posted there. And they do an analytics post. And this shows where most people are accessing pornography 
in the world. And they are like tens of millions of people access this website every day. So it's a big sample size. And without a doubt, the phone is the big one. 76.6% of the pornography accessed on this site, and this is just one of many, many sites, is our phones. So to me, it is so important to realize when we start to think about formation, particularly as that relates to sexuality and honoring God with our mind, our body, and our decision-making, this phone is, is, has becoming, and if you looked like a longitudinal, meaning like year after year after year, that slice of the pie only gets bigger. It just gets, every year it goes up, everything else goes down. So if you are thinking about sexuality, following Jesus, coming to terms with the influence of your phone is ground zero in my estimation. So without a doubt, that's an important thing. Second um, graph, now I don't know if you're a, a graph person. So all this is I'm wanting to say here is that the more time that's spent online, the greater likelihood that someone will experience a depressive episode in the last year. So this, and particularly with girls, this it influences guys, but it is particularly salient or relevant, influential in the lives of young girls. So, I, you know, there's, this graph could be critiqued in different ways, but I think there is clear correlation, connection, that the more time a person is online, the greater likelihood that it can relate in um, depression and anxiety. And there's a ton of data that's like, I didn't pull this out of nowhere. There's a lot of data around this. So it connects for sure. If you paid attention to, uh, I think the Wall Street Journal did the, uh, what was it? The Facebook papers, I think came out. That was the point. That was the big point of that great controversy is that Facebook knows this, but they don't admit this. And particularly as it works its way out in Instagram, part of the parent company. All right, so one, the last theorist is Marshall McLuhan. Now, does anybody know that name? He's Canadian, okay. What's he famous for? There's a phrase that he's most famous for. Medium is the message, yeah, exactly. So he's, he's kind of a, he's a, he's a Catholic. I mean, he's a believer. And he, he says that one of the things when you engage technology, and he would see technology as everything. The car that you wrote in, that's technology. This building that we're sitting in, that's technology. This phone, that's technology. His thing, and the way that what's relevant to us here, is that if we, we have to always know that whenever we engage technology, it allows me to do something that I couldn't do before. Let's say like this building. Being this building, we now have lights, we have climate control, we have washrooms, we have all the things that we're enjoying. But the thing is, if you want to leave this building, you only have a couple of options. So you have lots, it provides you things, but now you can't do, can't just, I can't just walk up through that wall and walk out of you. I can only leave in certain ways. And this, he, his famous illustration was the hammer. When I pick up a hammer, I can now drive a nail, which I couldn't do before. But now I can't button my shirt, which I could do before. So to always realize that when I use something, it allows me to do something, but know that it, it prevents you from then doing something else. And it forms you to be aware of, as I am engaged in my phone in some way, that that may offer something that's, that helps me, but it limits me in another way. Okay, so I've got the three points that I want us to spend just a couple of minutes on, and then I've got a little bit of application at the end. And I want to look at this as far as guideposts to help us on this journey of uh, dealing with temptation that we'll all face in a way that honors Christ and forms our hearts. All right, first one is the present moment. The temptation to miss the present moment or the present person. 
All right, I want to put a picture on the screen, which should be next. All right, what do you notice in this picture? Who do you notice in this picture? Grandma. Maybe she's grandma, you know, the lady there on the front. I love this picture because she is the one person who's not staring at her phone. This, I think this happened in Australia. Johnny Depp was somewhere in the area. So everybody is just going, oh, Johnny Depp crazy. But she's just soaking it all in. I love that sort of thing. Johnny Depp, huh? Who's Johnny Depp? I can imagine her. Her saying, Johnny what? Um, so I think this is a great picture of how the tendency of the phone to now put you between, to be between the person and the experience or the person and the other person. As I did research for this, and these are, I worked hard to find the real numbers, so this is the best I could find. 1.2 trillion pictures are uploaded every year. Instagram alone uploads 95 million people on Instagram. So when people have an experience, they have a relationship, this is the mediator. People, if you are going to a birthday party, I mean, when we're leaving to go to a birthday party, we'll say, oh, be sure we get our phone. We, you know, something, any experience, sunset, meal. I'm not going to ask how many people have photographed a meal in the last week. You know, we just take a picture of our meal before we eat the meal. That's, it, it is without a doubt, the experience that we have and the people we're around are connected to and through our phones. Well, the theological background that I want, that I think helps us, comes from C.S. Lewis. This is a great quote from um, Screwtape Letter. And the premise of this is there's a junior demon, it's a fiction, of course, fiction, he, that's being coached by a senior demon on how to tempt this person that he's been assigned to. Okay, so it connects to our topic of temptation. And this is what it says. I've got the quote for the screen here. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity of the present moment and of it only humans have an experience analogous to the experience which God has of reality. In it, the present alone, freedom and actuality are offered. The present is lit up with eternal rays. I love this quote because he's making this great point is the divine moment that we have in our day. It's this moment. We are given our daily bread. I've been recently in my quiet time rereading the first five books of the Old Testament. And the manna and the way God provided was all about this day. You don't, it's not tomorrow. You worry about today. In the words of Jesus, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. It'll take care of itself, has enough troubles. Worry about this day, that that's what God points us to. And that's this, this idea of the present because the past it's frozen. I mean, you cannot change the past. You can learn from it. The future, who knows? But this is the divine moment. This is, if you think of your life and eternity crossing, it's, that intersection is in this moment. So being aware of the how the phone, where those things cross, can pull us away, can get us off from where we need to uh, be. And this is the great irony with our phones. I was talking with somebody just near our house, I was out for a walk and I saw a neighbor and we were talking about how with, with all of us, uh, adults and kids, and I, I do want to say, to me, there's no moral high ground. A lot of times we think talking about smartphones, we got to get these kids off their phones. No moral high ground. I was at, I was sitting with Nathan, my son, at a Tim Hortons the other day and a father and a son came in, sat down and ordered the entire time they sat there like this. Did not say a word. So there is no moral high ground. It's all of us have to deal 
with this issue. But the great irony is that with the person they're with, we're with, often with a phone, inattention. The people we're removed from, hypervigilance. And I think this idea of inattention is something that, that is a temptation to miss. That if we, we've got to be so careful that we connect with the people around us and don't let the phone pull us off. There's actually a word for this, fubbing. I mean, you've heard the word fubbing. It's phone snubbing. It's a mashup of those two. And that's, fubbing would be, let's say Brad, I'm walking with Brad, I see Brad, he's this wonderful person, smiling, he's connecting with people. And I see Brad, but frankly, I'm not in the mood for Brad today. So no shade on Brad. No sh so I see him coming. So I pull up my phone and I just start either doing this, I do this. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just want to kind of give him a, hey, hey champ. Yeah, see, I'm on a phone call. Yeah, so see you later. Or if I'm around him and I'm just sitting there going, what's that, you know? That is fubbing. And to me, it's great that there's actually a word that's used for that, but it's, it's using our phones to avoid the person in the moment that we're in. And to me, in particular, it pulls our face away from the person. And that's one of the things that, you know, when you prepare a sermon, you learn more than anybody else. One of the things that I have learned is the power of our face. I, I can't remember if it was in the pre-service prayer. Sometimes somebody quoted that uh, uh, number six passage about the Lord make his face to shine upon you. The way that we orient our face is one of the most influential things that all of us possess. That I, I just I didn't think of this. And this is where screens, because screens, they pull our face down. There's a, one of the most famous psych experiments called the still face experiment, where this, uh, you know, there's a child that's being held and this mother sits in front of them and is engaged like you would think. Then the mother all of a sudden just gives a flat affect. Her face just goes flat still. And she just sits there. And this it is a remark. It's on YouTube if you want to see it. The links that this child will go to get something from the face of her mother. It's just, I mean, just watching what this kid just starts going through the list of things to try to get a, a response. And the power of our face, I think, turning towards somebody cannot be underestimated. I did a number of years ago. I led a trip to Los Angeles, uh, Urban Plunge. I don't know if you know it, if that's a phrase you would have heard. It's this idea that when you go, you go to downtown, inner city. So we went to Los Angeles and learned what ministry in that context is like and how people who uh, are disadvantaged in different ways just to become more aware. And one of the things we had to do is for 12 hours, we had to live on the street. So every glass of water, every bathroom at break, every food, you had to come up with it on the street. So it was a, um, uh, so it was a very powerful moment to be in. So one of the things that I learned in that is that so many people would not look at me when I would ask them for, uh, you know, some money to buy something to eat. Getting people to look at me was so hard. Like I, I, that is the biggest, I still remember that's years ago and it is shaped when I'm downtown and you know, somebody wants some money or they want something to at least look at them because I realized how dehumanizing it was for someone to not even look at me when I would ask them for something. And so I can't imagine doing that for day after day after day. So without a doubt, turning your face because Jesus in Matthew 25, when he talks about the kingdom of God and the people that are his people and that follow him, 
He goes through a list, and I'll just read kind of a highlighted version. I think it's on the screen. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. As you do this to the least of these, you do it to me. So this idea of not letting the phone tempt us to just get buried in this, but put it aside and turn our face towards a person. This is, I think, in, with our children around meals, how this gets worked out with meals. When somebody comes in the door, we just had our adult kids over last night and managing phones was a part of how that got worked out. So I would encourage you to, to see the value in each of these things that Jesus talks about. They involve you turning to an individual to clothe them if they're naked and feed them if they're hungry and visit them in prison, this direction. And that will teach us to number our days aright that we may attain a heart of wisdom if we can do that. All right, second uh, guidepost is the temptation and the phone as a context for the battle with our sinful nature. Uh, with as far as a bit of a theological background, this process of being formed to be uh, the person of Jesus, to be more like Jesus in the way I live my life, spend my money, the things I say, all of those, it does not happen unimpeded. There are forces that are working against this. And Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 lays these out in a clear form. And I want us to take a look at that. It says, and these are people who are not following Christ. This He's talking about previously. You were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. So in this passage, we start to see three ways that this work of uh, being Form to the person of Christ is done. First of all, it talks about the course of this world, walked according to the course of this world. There are things related to greed and the way that women are treated. We just had, uh, you know, the International Women's Day this last week. Things around race, all of these systems that exist in the world that can degrade and humanize people. And that's some of what's being refer referenced here. Next is the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sense of, be of disobedience. That Satan is a real influence that is at work as First Peter says, it's like a roving lion trying to undermine and counter the work that God is doing in the world. And that is a real person, a real influence in the world today that's working against us, you know, the formation of Christ in us. And then third, um, it says that among them too we all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, that each of us Pastor Brad, myself, the most holy person you know, all of us still contend with this sin nature that we have for Christ to continue to form us to the way that we speak and live our lives and what we do with our money and our time, for that increasingly to be following the steps of Jesus. So there's this internal battle that we all contend with. And this is addressed specifically in Galatians 5. It says, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. They are in conflict with one another so that you do not do what you want. And then Romans 13, 14, make no provision for the flesh and its lusts. So this shows us that there is a battle that goes on in all of us. 
for formation. This is key of this idea of temptation is how we contend with this. And particularly with our phones, two areas that I just want to highlight briefly is one is our words. One of the things that I have increasingly become aware of is that what we do with our words are central to how we live out our Christian life. And Proverbs 10, 19 says, where words are many, sin is not far away, but he who holds his tongue is wise. And then in James 1, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. Without a doubt, I think the phone, the thing that phones can allow us to do is to react, is that we see something posted and bam, we just counter it. We just fire off so many words. And I think one of the things that I included that I can do is to just slow down on that. There's a great book uh, by a guy named Alan Jacobs called How to Think. And he says, when you encounter somebody that you disagree with, always take five minutes to just stop. Because chances are in five minutes, you'll be a little more charitable and you'll see their position a little more clearly. Because the thing is, when you are hasty in your response, you know, when you're quick to speak, quick to anger, you miss all of that and you don't realize, mm, okay, they do have a point. Maybe I don't agree with everything, but I see the point. Or you, you don't vilify the person. And that is such an issue for how online life goes these days. So first of all, with our words and not responding too quickly. Second thing is sexual decision-making. And our phone, without a doubt, from that graph, particularly around pornography, is an area where there is a huge battle that rages. I know, I mean, this is, I talk to lots of people for whom this is issue. I know in a room like this, there are people that, you know, if you were, if Jesus were to come in here and say, what would you like me to do for you? You would say, rid me of this battle with pornography. I recognize that. And it is a battle. And I think how the phone figures into that is part of that. And we'll, uh, in the end, I've got a couple of practical applications. But not, but allowing our phone not to be, a source where it allows us to be tempted, particularly in the area of the words that we speak and sexual decision-making. And then final point, final guidepost, the temptation to be ever busy. And what I mean by ever busy is that we feel the need to fill every single day with something. If we, if we have even a moment of boredom in a line, we go for our phone. If we just have a twinge of like, okay, I don't have anything to do, that we jump to our phones. Part of following Jesus is connected to times of silence and solitude. If you go back even to the fourth century, there's a guy named John Cassian, who's one of the first, you know, um, spiritual leaders. He wrote some, so we have those writings. If he were here, he would say, what you need to do is silence and solitude. If you're silenced, that means you stop talking. That we need times that we just stop talking, stop typing, stop talking. And solitude, meaning we need to remove ourselves from an audience, the people that are listening to us. Because in those, you will start to connect, I think, with the work of the Spirit in our lives. Because these voices and us always talking will drown that out. I've got a question for you. And you just, you don't have to answer. When you are by yourself and texting someone, are you alone? If you are by yourself and you're texting someone, are you alone? I think one of the things that, that, that we often come to believe is that that is a moment of solitude. But I think 
what is being talked about here and following the way of Jesus where he removed himself. If you read the gospels, you see this again and again that Jesus went away to a lonely place. He prayed, he took time away. Is that we pull our phones, even if we are physically by ourselves, but if you're still texting somebody or still getting notifications, I would encourage you to remove, physically remove yourself from your phone. When you sit down to pray or to study the Bible, I would say, put your phone in another room. Key, don't just say, oh, I'm not on it. I would say remove it because the thing is, like I said, there's research that shows that even though it's sitting here, there's something in my brain after checking it 80 times a day for years that's always going, no matter, even if I'm doing something else, there's a part of me that's constantly, there's a vigilance that's held with the phone. So I would encourage you to remove that in some way. And I think by doing that, I think it will put you in a healthier place in, in lots of dimensions in your life. Okay, to conclude, I have a, a final four application. So if you're, if you're a basketball person, you know what happens in March? March Madness, right? Basketball, U.S. College Basketball Championship. So a lot of people that I hang out with have their bracket where they set up who's going to win and, you know, they're absolutely convinced. So I've got four final concluding applications for all of us. Number one is do not sleep with the phone next to your bed, okay? If I, I, like I say, I talk to a lot of particularly young men about pornography use, nearly always the phone. The first thing I would say is to get your phone away from your bedside. That, there is some combination of fatigue, laying down, and one swipe away from Instagram, which is a kind of picture that gets the motor started and off you go. So I would say remove your phone from your bedside. And people say, yeah, but I use this as my alarm clock. Buy your alarm clock. Buy an alarm clock. <laughs> Pastor Brad will officially, personally buy you an alarm clock. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know if he will or not, but he would want to. I know that much. Silver and gold have I none, but that's what I have. Be blessed as you find someone else. Um, so I think key, this idea of the first 30, last 30, that you create margins in your life, that's a key thing. So get your phone, practical application, away from your bedside. I think that will, and with your children, so key. I know I've said first 30, last 30. With children, if they have a phone, which you should be very judicious about when that happens, I think it's for sure should be more than 30 minutes. Like a, a couple hours is good. But uh, next practical application, do not text I'm sorry or thank you. They are missed opportunities. One of the things that our phones do is that they allow us to sort of go, hey, sorry about that, you know, and you don't see the face of the person. This is this face thing I was talking about. To me, particularly, I'm sorry, needs to be something that you go to the person, you say, you know, I'm so sorry I said that. I shouldn't have done that. When we do this all via text, and I think to a lesser degree, thank you, something is missed. It's a big miss. And I think a healthy thing to do is not to allow the phone to be the place where those things happen. It's to realize, you know, you can certainly say, hey, thank you for what you did. If you can't see them, that's okay. But for some thank yous, they need to be in person. And almost every apology, I think face-to-face -face is the route to go. Next, put social media apps only on your laptop or desktop. If social media, to me, is so often the face of this issue that we're talking about here is just put them on your desktop or something that you can't see all the time where you don't get push notifications. So I know for some that's asking a whole lot, but I think that is a practical way to separate this 
this way that the phone is just encroaching in our lives. I think that's key. And finally, have someone ask about your digital life and decisions on a regular basis. Have goals. That's key. Teach us to number our days that we may attain a heart of wisdom. This is that, that collective emphasis that we have. It's something that we should all do together. So I would encourage you, uh, I know I have some men that I meet with that this is a question. So how is your digital life doing? Be it uh, maybe looking at inappropriate content, maybe it's um, too distracted, how much it's pulling you away from your relationship with your spouse. You know, all the things that are important, making sure that the phone stays in its right place and having this a regular part of the conversations that you have with people. So to wrap up, Lord, teach us to number our days aright that we may attain a heart of wisdom. May this be true as we all seek to follow Christ and to honor him and to not to be tempted and not fall into temptation in ways that we shouldn't. So let me pray to wrap up and then I'll turn it over to Brad. Lord, thank you so much for this day, for us chance to be together. Uh, I pray that you would give us wisdom. We so want to number our days to, for our decisions, our things that we consent to, the things that we refrain from to always build uh, in our relationship with you and that it honors you. Jesus, we so want our uh, our days to count for what they need to count for and not to be sidetracked. So help us to do, make the right decisions with our phones and we commit all of this to you and we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.